Well, thanks, Ian. Thanks for welcoming me, and it's such a privilege to be here. It really is, and uh, just great to just meet a, a few of you just earlier on, and hopefully we can do that a bit more afterwards. Um, so um, I, I made the mistake, by the way, of coming to preach here. I, I left Edinburgh, and it was really hot and sunny, and I thought it's bound to be raining in Glasgow. So I put on my trousers, and uh, I've just been sweating buckets ever since I've got here. So that was a bad mistake. And everybody here is wearing shorts, so you made the right choice. Um, so I'm going to uh, teach, preach from uh, 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. And I'm calling this message, Messy Church, Messy World, or Messy World, Messy Church, one of those two. And I, I don't know about you, but does life feel messy at the moment? Does your life sometimes feel like everything's not squared away as it should be squared away? And particularly perhaps over this last uh, year or so, I mean, even coming in today and I was just trying to greet people and do you do the fist bump? Do you do the handshake? Do you elbow? It is complicated, isn't it? And uh, when you're trying to talk through a mask and you think, well, I, you know, I think you said something important there. Do I risk saying, please repeat it and offend you, or do I uh, just acknowledge that I didn't hear a word you just said? Um, life is complicated. Work has been complicated. If you're working from home, perhaps you're finding that difficult, or if you've had to homeschool children in the last year, that's been really complicated for, for some. And what help does the Bible give us in the midst of mess? And uh, I'm going to talk about King Hezekiah. So just to give you an intro to Hezekiah before we read about him, um, he's a standout king in the Old Testament. Uh, just quick history of the kings, so you, you'll know uh, there was Saul, there was David, there was Solomon, the first three kings of Israel. Then there was civil war and the kingdom divided. The northern tribes, the ten tribes, that was called Israel from that point on, and the southern tribes, the two, were called Judah. And the ten northern tribes, they never, ever had a good king in their entire history from that point. They all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We read that phrase again and again and again. And Judah didn't fare too much better. They had four good kings out of, uh, in hundreds of years. And Hezekiah was one of those kings. Um, and that meant that whenever a good king came along in Judah, they... They always inherited a load of mess and a load of idolatry in the nation that had to be dealt with. And by the time of Hezekiah's 29-year reign, the northern kingdom had entirely fallen. They'd been put into exile because God had judged them, and Judah was looking very fragile. It was looking very sugarly. Because this old covenant, this old way of relating to God, based on the law... It just simply wasn't working. And in the midst of that, you find this covenant beginning to fade, beginning to deteriorate. It's fragility on display. But you know what? Hezekiah is a king who doesn't seem to just accept the status quo. He stand out in his generation because he seeks to turn things around. And today, for us, as we live in a messy world, and even as church life is messy for a season, no doubt, I wonder if you're going to be the man or woman or teenager who is going to be stand out in your generation and seek to turn things around. This king doesn't accept the status quo. He engages with the mess and leads his people out of it. Does that sound like any other king you might know? 
is Jesus. We read about him in the Bible, he, and Hezekiah points to Jesus. And Jesus isn't king over a, of a temporary fading kingdom, a fading covenant. He's the king of an everlasting covenant, and he's king of an everlasting kingdom that will never, ever fade. And he's not put off by a bit of mess, so that's good news for me and you today. If you're feeling a bit messy, if you're feeling life's a bit messy, then Jesus is not put off by that, and he's here to help us today. So um, King Jesus is going to build his church. He's going to do it in Edinburgh. He's going to do it in Glasgow right here. He's going to do it across the nations of the world. And I think the story of Hezekiah teaches us five ways in which Jesus builds his church. I'm just going to talk through these things um, a little bit each. So here's the first thing we see about Hezekiah, that, that, that he seeks to purify the people of God. So it's a season of purification and preparation. So if you read chapter 29, verse 3, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened up the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the door of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. So it seems like a pretty gloomy situation that not only are the doors shut, but the lights are out. This place that is the dwelling place for God on earth, the very center of worship, if you are a, a Jewish man or woman or any part of that nation, then the very center, it was closed. Closed for business. And he embarks on a clear out. He clears out the idols. And he, he says, we're just going to do this. First of all, we'll open the doors. We'll take out all the rubbish. And they throw it into a valley. And they begin to put things right. Do you know, Jesus has a mission and a plan for his church. You know, sometimes we talk about the mission of the church as being to tell the world about Jesus. And that is the mission of the church. But do you know that Jesus has a mission for his church and we read about it in Ephesians 5. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or other blemish, holy and blameless. Here's Jesus' mission for his church, is to have a bride that's pure and spotless and blameless and beautiful, and that's what he's doing with us. And sometimes you can hear of big things that sometimes happen in Christian circles, and you think, what, what is God doing? Well, fundamentally, he's doing this. He's making a church that's fit for him. He's making a church that is the fitting bride for the bridegroom. And the wonderful thing about this is it only takes 16 days. In, sorry, not, not to, to, to make the church pure and holy forever, but in, in Hezekiah clearing out the temple, only takes 16 days. I feel like he was a bit of an activist. I think for some of us, we overestimate what can be done in a day and we underestimate what can be done in 16 days. I wonder what God is doing in your life, the things that he wants you to move forward on at the moment. 
I'm always struck when I chat to somebody who, who's making it their long-term plan to get baptized one day. You think, well, hey, you could do that in the next 16 days. Or, you know, perhaps my long-term objective is I'd, I'd like to start being more generous with myself. You could start doing that in the next 16 days. I wonder what God has called you to move forward on in this next couple of weeks, which will lead us into the season beyond that. Jesus is purifying his church to make us more fruitful. And, but here's the thing about preparation and pruning. These aren't kind of easy words, are they? These aren't the things that make us go, woohoo. We don't think, oh, great, preparation, pruning. In fact, uh, uh, I've got a 10-year-old son. I've got four kids. My, my youngest is 10 years old now. He loves playing football, played football every, every Saturday morning with school. And then lockdown happened. All of that stopped. And then we began to get the kind of anonymous messages from the coaches saying there is a secret gathering at the park next Saturday for any who, uh, who want to kind of have a bit of coaching. And Ben started going along to some of these things. And, and then he said, oh, I don't want to go anymore. I said, oh, right, what, 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 why, Ben? Why do, you, why do you not want to play football? He says, well, it's training. <laughs> he said, it's no fun when it's just training. He says, I like the matches. And then sort of at a later point, matches started, and he was right back and running. Here's the thing. God hasn't called us just to perpetual training and pruning. He's called us to win, and he's called us to matches. He's called us to, to do the works of the kingdom of God. So here's the question I want to ask you today. If this last 16 months meant something, and you were to write it down in a sentence, what's God taught you? Or maybe a couple of things. What's God taught you about yourself, about him, or about other people? Why don't you just write that down on your phone or on a bit of paper? Just so this preparation moment isn't wasted so that Jesus can use it for the season ahead. What has God taught you? So here's the second thing about Hezekiah. You with me so far? So it was about purification, preparation. It's about invitation. Jesus is building a church that invites the world. So we read this about Hezekiah. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the peoples had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right to both to the king and to the whole assembly, and they decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba in the north to Dan in the south, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. Passover was the big deal in the Jewish calendar. It's when they celebrated coming out of Egypt, being rescued, coming through the Red Sea, they were told to celebrate and do it every year on a certain date. And here we have Hezekiah, and he says, ooh, Passover. And he looks at his calendar, and he says, oh, we're a month late. And it's a month later than planned because, firstly, nobody turned up. And secondly, not even any of his key leaders showed up. And so here's, here's the logic in Hezekiah's head, right? So nobody's turned up. None of his leaders seem to be on board with the idea. He says, 
how about rather than just doing, how about, how about rather than just doing it for, for Judah, for this community here, how about we invite everybody, all of Israel, all of the 12 tribes, let's invite everybody to come and celebrate the Passover with us. And everybody says, great. They weren't even ready to do it with their own people, yet they decided to invite the others. God doesn't want us to wait until we feel church is ready or we're ready. In fact, I'm often surprised just how much God wants to use me and people like us, even when we feel like we're not ready, when we make ourselves available to him. This messy church Jesus is building has blurred edges where invites go out even though there's plenty of mess within. So here's another question for you. Who, who are you thinking about inviting in in this season ahead as we begin to, to just do church a bit more normally? What does it look like for you to invite others in? Maybe there's a couple of names you want to write down and start praying for. Here's the third feature of the church that Jesus is building and that Hezekiah demonstrates. It's a, it's a kingdom of participation. So verse 18 says, although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Isaac, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, may the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So it's not just sounding messy, it's sounding stressy. In fact, their Passover is already messy and late, and it's not to the required standard, and God has very clear views on this Passover and how it should be celebrated. But this king, he prays to God, he says, Lord, would you just look at the heart that goes on behind it, rather than the detail of what's going on? You know, we have a king who prays that same prayer over us, even though we get it wrong, even though uh, we are, our actions are sometimes flawed and our thinking isn't always correctly aligned. You know, there's one who is a mediator, there's one who intercedes on our behalf. And he corrects every false motive and he corrects every false thought and he corrects every wayward prayer and he makes it acceptable to the Father. Never let your own weakness and your own sin disqualify you from participation. We have the king who ever lives to intercede for us. And, you know, don't let the mess disqualify you from playing an active part in the life of this community. I was reading this brilliant book recently called Extraordinary Hospitality for Ordinary People. And it's a brilliant book just about biblical hospitality and what that means. And uh, Julie and I, my wife, we, we, we love inviting people into our home. We did that a lot back before the whole COVID thing. And we really missed it over the last year and a half. But here's what happens when you don't invite people into your house. It gets messier. Uh, you know, that was always the catalyst for us to clean up. And, uh, and then I just read this really releasing statement because we'd get to the thing of, oh, man, we'd love to invite some people over. But, man, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? This book, uh, the, the author, she says, how can we show genuine, generous welcome without becoming exhausted and overburdened? We need to start by rejecting a worldly view of hospitality. 
Our goal is not to show off our homes or our cooking skills or lack of them, but our saviour. See, that's what it is to be a participator in Jesus, a participator in church life, is to just let Jesus be who he is in you and to let that work out to others, even though the, the mess of our lives is sometimes on display. Question for you. Participation. Who are you sharing your life with over this next season? Fourth one. Celebration. The church that Jesus is building is a church of celebration. Uh, Verse 21. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. There's a party, there's music, there's singing, there's dancing, there's the sense of God is among his people again. It characterized the people of God. Whenever you go through the Bible, you you read that singing is a direct response to the revelation of who God is. Uh, Sometimes it kind of narked me slightly when when people, Christians were portrayed in the news in recent months that somehow we just like singing, that's kind of one of our things, you know, like we... It's not like that many of us here would join choirs. You know, it's not that we love singing to the point of where we we would just do that in our spare time. But, you know, in Exodus chapter 15, when the people of God crossed the Red Sea and God delivered them from all their enemies, the very first thing they did was that Moses taught them a song and he put words into their mouth out of the overflow of their heart that they should praise and worship. That's what happens when we experience the revelation of God it overflows from us in a song of praise. I believe there's a song to be sung. There's a, uh, there's a, new, a new song to come. And lastly, you still with me? So far, okay, three of us, good. Um, verse 22. This is restoration, okay? Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord For seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So the Levites were the busy guys. They were the ones who did more than their fair share of the work at the Passover. They were busy, busy, busy. And it turned out they were going to do this Passover twice. Yet Hezekiah doesn't pin them to the wall and just say, go again. He does this beautiful thing where he sits them down, and for seven, time, seven days he just spends time with them. And it says he speaks encouragingly to them. That word means tenderly or comfortingly. Imagine this king. He comes off his throne and he just says to the Levites, let's hang out. I've got some good things I want to say to you that will really encourage you, that will really help you, and will really comfort you. Let me just say to some of you who over this last year have found your life super challenging, serving the needs of others, perhaps parenting, perhaps working extra hard, perhaps leading a ministry or a small group in church life, perhaps you've just been busy with some other thing that hasn't been noticed or seen by others. Well, the king wants to speak his word of encouragement over you. 
and he wants to speak to you tenderly and comfortingly. And he wants to say, well done, well done. And Jesus said these words. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just like Hezekiah sat with them, so Jesus sits with us and he gives us his rest. And amazingly, at the end of that seven days, that short holiday with Hezekiah, they're ready to go again. He says, should we do the Passover again? They said, yes. And so they do it again. The king is doing a great work. He's working all of the mess together for good in the lives of his people. And he's preparing us, he's inviting us, he's including us, he's celebrating over us, he's restoring us. And how amazing that this king loves us, despite all the mess in our lives. And he doesn't lead us in that mess, but he leads us out of it. You know, we could look through the entire Bible, we don't have time because we need to wrap up now. But we could look and we could find an entire catalogue of people who you might say would be disqualified. Gideon was too fearful. Samson had clear anger management issues. David was a moral failure. Thomas was a doubter. Peter just got the wrong end of the stick again and again and again. James and John thought it was all about them. If there's a place for these people in the church of Jesus, and if Jesus insisted on using them despite their obvious imperfections, then he will use you and I as well. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we just want to come to you right now. We're so thankful for this this community called church that you are building. And I thank you that you're taking ordinary people and doing something extraordinary with us. I want to pray for this beautiful church right here, Lord, in Glasgow. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would bring this church through this season of preparation you're bringing bringing them through and into a place of fruitfulness. I pray, Lord, that you'd restore joy and celebration. Lord, we pray that uh, this would be a, a community filled with participation, where every member does its work. And Lord, we do just want to pray for those in need of restoration today. Lord, I pray for anybody who doesn't yet know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you put your hand upon them, bring your healing and your power and your leadership and bring them to know Jesus. And I pray for those who feel feel tired, burned out, restless, agitated, frustrated. King Jesus, come and speak tenderly to us. Thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light.